0: my friends lent is over and the easter season is finally upon us my name is zach allen and i'm the lead pastor at grace church of alma a smallest church in a ruralish town in the arkansas river valley where we try to teach people how to do the kinds of things jesus said to do with the caveat that that might not mean what you think it means Uh, christ is risen a new day has come So let's just jump right in, yeah? I'm sure you're all familiar with John 3, 16 and 17. Yeah, it's uh, well-known for sure. It says this, reading from the NRSV as usual, John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. I'm probably not giving you anything new here just yet, but stick around for a bit. Pay attention. I'm going to take you somewhere you may have never been before. And I think if you'll internalize what I'm going to tell you this morning, uh, it has the potential to change, I mean, really everything. It, It certainly has for me. But right away, I have three questions when I read this bit of scripture. One, what is love? Right? I mean, that seems silly, but really, what is love? And What does it mean to be saved? What am I being saved from exactly? And finally, what about this eternal life? So we're in John 3, 16 and 17, and there's this really lovely explanation for this. If you just tack the number one at the front of your Bible reference. So now it says 1 John 3, 16 and 17. Neat little trick. Here it is. We know love by this. Hmm, sounds like we might get an answer to the first question. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. That's helpful. It tells us what love looks like, how we can know it when we see it, right? So continuing in verse 17, how does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods and sees a brother or sister in need and yet refuses help? Did you ever have a teenage crush? I mean, who didn't, right? Uh, but about that crush, did you ever get in an argument with your parents about it and say something like, but I love her or him? You know, what did mom and dad say? You don't even know what love is. Well, they're probably right, right? The unfortunate reality, though, is that most of us still don't really know what love is. Like we know it, but we don't know it well enough to explain it like I'm five, right? So here's an incredibly simple definition of love, the explain like I'm five version. To love is to genuinely desire good for someone. So like in 1 John 3:17, how does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods and sees a brother or sister in need and yet refuses help? If I have the means to alleviate someone's need and I refuse to do so, then I do not love that person. It really is that simple, I think. We talk a lot about apprenticeship to Jesus here at Grace Church and experiencing uh, this with God kind of life. And we've talked a lot about how our inner transformation or spiritual formation, the renovation of our hearts, breaks down into three basic components, vision, intention, And means we see the possibility of a good life with God. That's vision. So then desire the good life with God and intend to have it. That's intention. And if we really do intend to have it, we'll follow through with the proper means for us. As we've talked about many times, that's discipleship. It's apprenticeship in a nutshell. It's following Jesus into his practices Seeing, desiring, and doing something about it, this is how people change. It's also how love works. We see someone's need, we desire good for that someone, and we do something about it. And y'all know by now I hope that I love to quote him whenever I can, so in the words of the prophet John Mayer, love ain't a thing. Yeah, love is a verb, right? So love. Real love, the God kind of love, it costs me something. So to recap, to love is to genuinely desire good for someone and to do something about it. Simple, right? So when we say God is love, we mean this love is God's essential nature. That God genuinely desires good for someone and God does something about it, something that costs God something. Another way of saying this is to say God's nature is self-sacrificial love. God's nature is to be self-giving for the benefit of others. So we've answered the first question, what is love? Let's turn our attention to that second one. What am I being saved from? For that, we'll have to go back to the beginning The very beginning, in fact. You know, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, right away, I want you to notice something significant about this moment. Let's say there was a time when God was there, but creation was not. You know, whatever there is and whatever it can possibly mean, apart from the contingent, multidimensional reality we call the universe. But anyway, go with me here. God's there. Creation's not. There's only God. And suddenly, God creates. God creates. God brings something into being, when before, there was only God. Can you see how even this act of creation costs God something? To go from being the only thinking being to being one of a nearly endless multitude of thinking beings, who may, who may choose to craft this creation in a way that is at odds with his own desires for it, is fundamentally an act of self-giving an act of love. It is to give up control. Creation itself is an act of love. And according to Genesis 1 through 2, God put humans on this earth and made them in our image. There's another interesting word, our. Now, there's debate about whether this hour is a reference to God with the heavenly hosts, the angels, or if it's a reference to another key part of God's essential nature. But we do believe in a triune God here, the Trinity, so we're going to go with that. John 1.1 1, 1 echoes this passage when it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. This Word that was with God in the beginning is not your Bible, right? It's not your Bible, It's the Logos of God, the wisdom of God. It's Jesus, actually. Even before creation, our triune God was already being as three in one. One God in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, eternally coexistent in mutual submission, self-giving to one another. In short, once again, love is God's very essence, And from that essence, God creates humankind in God's own image. Now, what it means for humans to be made in the image of God is a complex topic far beyond the scope of our time in this podcast. But it at least means we are created to love as God loves. So using our simple definition from earlier, God created humans with the capacity to see need, to genuinely desire good, and to do something about it. We are hardwired to love. We can't help but love. We've established a simple definition of love, uh, that that this love is the very essence of God, and being created in God's image, this love is what we were made for. But here is where it begins to get Weird. This is exactly where our problem begins, because sin enters the scene. The Bible introduces this conflict through the characters of Adam and Eve and a serpent in the Garden of Eden. Like God, Adam and Eve were created to love God and one another. But the serpent enticed them, tricked them. The serpent made them believe they were incomplete, not whole that they lacked something crucial to their sense of fulfillment in life. And so, Adam and Eve sought to fulfill their own desires for themselves. And in this act, something within them was bent out of shape. Rather than love extending outward toward God and other people, our love, our desire, our very selves became curved inward upon its own self. This is the answer, I think, to our second question. What are we being saved from? This inward curve of love is sin. It is this present sin, this inward curve upon ourselves that we are being saved from. And so here, I think, is the fundamental truth of the matter it's love. It's only ever been love. Every evil thing you've ever done was simply love curved inward upon itself. Love is meant to project outward, but our brokenness, our bentness, our sin is this dysfunction of love turned inward. And the result of this Self turned inward upon itself is death. You've heard of a black hole, I'm sure. They're formed when these massive stars die. The star's core is exhausted. It becomes unstable, and the thing just collapses inward upon itself, sucking in everything around into itself, even light We could trace this theme throughout the entirety of the Bible, I think, from front to back. But again, we don't have time for that in in this medium. So we're going to take a big jump back to the future, uh, back to Jesus specifically. Think about this inward curve. Love curved inward upon itself. As I read Jesus' response to a question about the greatest commandment, and see if you have one of those aha moments. He said in Mark 12, 30 and 31, you shall love the Lord, your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. In other words, with your whole self and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Hmm. Love your neighbor thats someone else as yourself. Our bent love needs to be straightened back out. But, you might say, what if I don't love myself? I'm not sure I actually love myself. In fact, I'm pretty sure I don't, you might say. But, you do. Trust me, you do. If your idea of love is more like Liking, of being pleased by the appearance or actions of a thing. You're not thinking about love as we've defined it, as self giving, but something more akin to infatuation. But you do love yourself because you see needs or pain in your own life and you desire to do something about it. That is love. Think about it. Do you want to be miserable? No, of course not. Do you want your life to be characterized by conflict, frustration, a lack of fulfillment? No, of course not, because you love yourself. When you are hungry, you eat because you love yourself. You sense the need. You intend to do something about it. You follow through, right? That is self-love. But when you aren't feeling great about yourself, when you aren't much liking yourself or your circumstances and dive into a tub of ice cream You were loving yourself. It may not have been the best action you could take in the moment, but it was nonetheless perceiving a need, desiring good, and doing something about it in the best way you could fathom in that moment. Like I said, it's love. It's only ever been love. Everything you've ever done or will do was love. And along comes Jesus preaching the gospel the kingdom of the heavens is near. And you can draw your sense of life, your sense of self-worth, your identity from the abundance of this kingdom reality instead of from yourself. That you can be free from sin, this inward curve. That you can begin to love your neighbor as yourself. That your disordered, inwardly curved love can be reoriented, can be turned back outward as it was intended, toward God and others, that you can see the need of someone else, genuinely desire good for them, and do something about it. So what practical difference does this make? I really do think if we could internalize seeing people this way in their actions, especially the ones that frustrate us, it would make the world a much better place to be. Some of the best parenting advice out there right now recognizes this, I think. I saw a quippy little post the other day on uh, Facebook, I think. It said, thinking of your child as behaving badly disposes you to think of punishment. Thinking of your child as struggling to handle something encourages you to help them through distress. But what if you could take that approach with everyone? What if instead of focusing on the behavior which might be causing you to stress out? What if you could see through it to the heart of a bent human soul, just like your own, which was just in need of help? What if we could, instead of focusing on how it affects me, see the pain of another, desire good for them, and then do something about it? We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, And we ought to lay down our lives for one another. And even, Jesus says, for your enemies. That living from this kingdom reality, you can even desire the very best for the people who would just as soon see you kick the bucket. This, again, was the very example Jesus gave us with his own life on Good Friday. While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son. By an ultimate act of self sacrificial love, of true love, of love turned outward as it ought to be, the answer to love turned inward is love turned outward. This is the reality Jesus demonstrates for us, and empowers us to live from, not just for the self, but for others too. On this Easter Sunday, uh, we rejoiced in the work of Christ. We celebrate that Jesus, the God-man, love turned outward in the flesh, conquered death the grave could not contain it and so death has been swallowed up in victory where O oh death is your victory where O oh death is your sting yeah all of that but I think the thing we Christians miss so frequently is that Jesus intends and makes possible for us to live into this reality right now in this great undoing the great reordering of making real love possible again, even for you and me, even right now? This is the answer to the third question. This is eternal life, and it's already here, available to you right now. Perhaps you have seen by now the latest Gallup poll showing that for the first time in U.S. history. Fewer than 50% of adults belong to a religious congregation. That's down from 70% in 2000, and 61% in 2010, and now just 47%. I can't help but think our failure to live into this kingdom reality is at least partly, if not wholly, to blame. We must be better, church. Speaking to his first disciples, Jesus said, You are the light of the world. You. Now, he wasn't talking about himself there. He said, you. And I believe this applies to everyone seeking this with God shaped life. A life defined by love turned outward. A light giving light only to itself looks like darkness from the outside looking in, like a black hole in the cosmos. But you, you were made to shine. So let's commit this Easter season and beyond to learning how to do just that. The slow lifelong process of spiritual formation that we talk about so much. So chew on that this week and we will catch you right back here again next week. Have a great one.